This is Cole. And this is Ron. We are... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pardon the interruption, ladies and gentlemen. But I cannot, in good conscience, let the travesty and the robbery of last week go by without giving you a little bit of my opinion. So I'm here to give you a little lump of coal, as it were, if you will. And uh, we need to discuss the results of the 2021 fantasy draft. <clears throat> Ronald supposedly won this crock of shit draft with these crock of shit judges with matches like John Cena versus Orange Cassidy, Darby Allen versus Brock Lesnar, and the biggest waste of all, Valter versus Cesaro in his main event. So let me just discuss these three matches real quick. First of all, you have John Cena taking on prebupescent John Cena, uh, the same guy that's, you know, 150 pounds lighter, wearing denim and tennis shoes. Nobody is signing up to see John Cena versus Orange Cassidy. And this basically was the match that swayed the judges. Well, two of the judges. Scott Lost sat here on the show and gave me nothing but crap for an hour and a half, and yet still, still had to admit when it was all said and done that I had the far superior card. It wasn't even close. But let me just discuss 125-pound Darby Allen taking on Suplex City Brock Lesnar. Yes, I understand that Darby selling for Brock sounds like a cute idea when it's all said and done, but this is just absolutely ridiculous, especially when on my side I have Adam Cole, one of the best wrestlers in the world, taking on AJ Styles, arguably the best wrestler of the last 20 years. He's in that conversation with Brian Danielson and Shinsuke Nakamura and CM Punk and anyone else you want to throw out there. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever that any human could, in good conscience, pick the main event of Walter versus Cesaro. Now, I love Claudio Castagnoli. He was a fantastic worker. Uh, and in WWE, he's done nothing but make people look great for the last 10 years. But, come on. No one is buying that main event when on the other channel you have American Dragon, Brian Danielson, taking on Shinsuke Nakamura. So, fuck you, Ron. Uh, uh, the judges can kiss my entire ass, except for Scott Lost who buried me the whole episode, but still agreed with me. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm coming for you, Ty Matthews. I'm coming for you, Chris Cadillac. And Ronald, ugh, enjoy your time, and I love you. And enjoy this week's episode. This is Cole. And this is Ron. We are the creative team. Asking the tough questions like, Hey Cole. Yeah, Ron? What if Hulkamania never ran wild? Hey, Ron. Yes, Cole? What if Rick wasn't ravishing? That's rude. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Cole, I got an idea. I can see that. Hey, Ron, I got an idea. I love it. My sister, Candace Murray. Look, up in the sky, it's the creative team. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of... The Creative Team! 
I am your host, Cole Dawson, and with me, as always, my hashtag team partner, Ron Kilborn. How you doing today, bud? Oh, it's another beautiful day in the neighborhood. I am excited. I am having an awesome day, and boy, that is the word today. And it's another take it up <laughs> with creative. And I don't want to waste any more time. We need to get into this because this is a subject that I've been wanting to talk about for so long. I even went as far in my inexperienced drafting days to have him be like one of my number four or five picks. <laughs> and you ex and you explain like, well, that's a little early for this gentleman. And I was like, I don't care. I love him. Well, yeah, but no one was going to go for him. And that <laughs> that guy, that guy is none other than Mike Awesome. And I think Mike Awesome is one of like the reasons why I got into ECW in the mid nineties. Um, Mike Awesome was such a huge favorite of mine. What do you feel about Mike Awesome? When did you discover him? And what are some of the best Mike Awesome memories you have? Well, I mean, this is one of the uh, I don't I, I guess things that I'm slightly embarrassed about is you know I was such a WWF homer when I was a kid that when Jerry Lawler called ECW garbage wrestling, I took his word for it. And so I did not go out of my way to watch ECW when I was a kid. Uh, and then the same thing when the Monday Night Wars were happening, happening, I wasn't going to give WCW my ratings. And so uh, unless they were doing something special like, you know, Dennis Rodman, who was my favorite basketball player at the time. Or, you know, when they had Jay Leno on, I'd drop in occasionally and watch WCW. But as we've talked about, even Bret Hart couldn't make me watch WCW on a weekly basis. So uh, I never uh, watched the ECW when it was happening. And uh, once I got into, you know, tape trading and that kind of thing, I steered towards like the cruiserweight Japanese style and a lot of lucha and then I, I went back and saw the guys like from the Radicals that I love and checked out their stuff. So I really didn't discover Mike Awesome until like, I don't know, One Night Stand. You know, one of those pay-per-views when uh, he, he wrestled Masato Tanaka and just completely tore the house down and stole the show. And then I went and went, oh boy, I need to check some of this shit out. And I went back and uh, dug in deep on Mike Awesome. And he's just one of those guys where you look at him and you're like, okay, like, I understand he's got a little bit of a goofy looking face. But uh, other than that, he's built like a shit brick house. He's athletic as shit. His wrestling style is is just incredible for a heavyweight. Like, I mean, he is, he, he never, he never seemed to blow up. He never seemed to run out of gas. He took ridiculous bumps, uh, had some just of the most brilliant ideas that felt even a little bit reckless and dangerous, but always came off safe. And uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Mike Awesome. I, that, that one match got me hooked and, and made me go down that rabbit hole. But I, I, I think all the stuff with Masato Tanaka is, is the, uh, what everyone holds up as some of the greatest wrestling in the history of the business. Some of the most entertaining, exciting. Uh, I, I think it really was um, innovative, innovative stuff. And uh, I think still to this day, people are trying to imitate it and uh, just come anywhere close to what Mike Awesome did with Masada Tanaka in those epic wars they had. So I, I am a huge fan, and uh, I'm glad we're doing this. 
And uh, this, I, I had to, again, since I didn't watch any of the WCW stuff live when it happened, uh, I kind of was surprised when I started doing the research and saw how they actually brought Mike in. And uh, then for it to turn so sour so quickly, it, <laughs> it's one of the most epic failures in the history of professional wrestling. And the reason may be a little bit silly. So um, were, were you a a fan before um, WCW? And uh, like, when did you discover Mike Awesome? I discovered Mike Awesome during the Masato Tanaka trilogy. Uh, I, I watched uh, the triple threat match he had with Taz and Masato Tanaka where Taz got eliminated immediately because he was on his way to WWE F at the time, whatever. Uh, and then that hooked me. And then I would occasionally watch, I would, if I could find it, I would watch his older matches. But what solidified him for me, other than the Masato Tanaka matches, was the match he had with Spike Dudley. And my goodness, this match was, it was personal because the lead up to it was that he big booted uh, his uh, girlfriend. I don't know if it was a real girlfriend or just a plant, but uh, he big booted her and just murdered her and the next the next week they show her <laughs> they show her with like no middle teeth and then his his catchphrase from like then to build up their match was like i knocked her fucking teeth down her fucking throat that was his uh that was just a line he kept repeating and i was just like oh my god this is like rated r wrestling at its finest and this guy's a monster but he can do splashes frog splashes he can balance on the top rope and power bomb guys from the top rope and land on his ass like, he would just chuck guys out of the ring. He was like Brock Lesnar before Brock Lesnar was Brock Lesnar because Brock was that guy that had the big brute strength but the dude can do a shooting star. Mike Awesome felt like that hybrid wrestler that can do everything uh, as a heavyweight. So that's what drawn me to Mike Awesome because I was in that same vein where I was, like, really into the cruiserweights and all the high-flying stuff. But when you get a guy that size that can do all that too, that's even crazier and more rare and that's why Mike Awesome is fucking awesome. And <laughs> so to answer your question, yes, I was, a, I was a fan before WCW. So when he got there, you can imagine my heartbreak uh, when uh, he uh, went from all that is awesome to all that is thrilling. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of started reading this. It's, an, it's another one. You know, I felt like, you know, we just did the Regal episode not too long ago, a few weeks back. And, uh, you know, you start reading through it, you know, you have it in your brain like they really shit the bed with this guy or they didn't give him enough. And then you start reading how the push went, much like the Vader one. Like, it started off really well, and then it just somewhere along the line, it took a left turn and it went to Shitsville. And you're just like, what the fuck? Why did this happen? And uh, I, I just... I. I don't understand it. I, I guess the, the only thing I could really come up with is just that Mike Awesome is not an awesome promo, but uh, he had it. You look at him and you watch the way he moves in the ring. You see the things that he pulls off, the creativity and, and all that, and it is just no reason for him to be like a mid-card jobber. Like there's just no reason for him to be out there with Brian Knobs and... You know, <laughs> Other than he's from ECW, so he deserves to be in the hardcore shit. But, like, oh, I just, sometimes wrestling. <laughs> sometimes wrestling. 
You know, it's my it's my favorite thing to do. Like whenever I hear someone complain about, you know, the industry's poor choices or WWE did that, WCW did this, ECW did that. Why do they do this? And I was like, you want to know why? Why? Because. Because <laughs> Vince McMahon in most cases. No, 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 but no. This time it was a different Vince. <laughs> no, just because. No rhyme, no reason. It's just whatever position the pencil was in that day wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the last five years, it's been, hey, Triple H made all these guys look like fucking stars on NXT. They're coming to the main roster. What are we going to do? Oh, let's change their fucking name and gimmick completely. God damn it, pal. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. I give you Keith Lee. <laughs> By not giving uh, us Keith Lee. Yes. Oh, I give you Karrion Cross. <laughs> Losing to Jeff Hardy in his debut. <laughs> that crossed the line. Oh. Oh, we were on it today. So how how was how was your workout this morning? It was delightful. Uh I, I took a hike. Uh it it was lovely. What are we doing? I thought we were on Mike Awesome. <laughs> I'm just talking about awesome things like the fact that you weigh like thirty pounds less than I do now. Oh, it is it is nice. Uh it, it's nice to not hold my breath and tie my shoes anymore. Yes. Uh you you take you you take for granted the the things that you can do like getting up. <laughs> well, that's what blue shoes for, my friend. <laughs> mm. Oh, getting it up. Hey. It sounds like we're sponsor fishing. Hey. I wish. We're, we're trying hard to get you. So, I would I would like another free sample. <laughs> oh. The first one went very well. <laughs> oh, nice. I'm sure the wife would, too. Speaking of awesome things that don't last very long, let's talk about Mike Awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. So, the tale of Mike Awesome in WCW goes as follows. April 10th, 2000. Mike Awesome, the current... ECW champion signs with WCW because you know frankly at the time Paul Heyman wasn't paying people and so uh since Mike Awesome wasn't getting paid he went and signed a contract jumped ship to WCW and this is what was great they debuted him as a member of the new blood the first person his first interactions in WCW were attacking Kevin Nash a top dog and then he teamed with Kidman and was taken on freaking Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash. This was what they started with. It was it, This is great. Uh, he got to throw Canyon off the cage in the uh, just, you know, le fabled and legendary triple cage match. Um, this is the second time this week that I'm hearing about this triple cage match. And I think I'm finally going to have to do it and go watch this freaking match just so I could say I've seen it. So that when it happens and people talk about it, I have I have it in my brain as to what happened. I've seen the finish of this, and I th actually thought it was really well done with David Arquette turning heel. It was well done, but uh, I don't know about the whole match. So here's the thing. Um, this is what was going on in WCW at the time. They, they pitched this idea that on the surface is really brilliant to have all the old-timers and the rich fucks joining in a club the millionaires club 
and then have a bunch of new upstart younger guys that are looking to make a name for themselves, the new blood. Um, they started this storyline in July and it was over in a few months. It was done just July, August, September that they already blew this off and disbanded both these fucking groups. And that just shows you where WCW was at the time. And that's uh, just horrible. Horrible. Um, but, or no, sorry. The Triple Cage was in May. So he debuted in April. In May, they did this. By July, the New Blood is done. And he starts a gimmick as the Fat Chick Thriller. Where he's enthralled with fat chicks. And that's what gets him going. And he's chasing after 300 to 400 pound women. And this is what they thought was going to draw money after a feud with Nash and Hogan. Um, and then he feuded with Scott Steiner and Lance Storm for the U.S. title. Um, and then by September, so again, two months later, it's time to change that gimmick up already. You don't want him to get stale. And so in September, he's already on his fourth gimmick. And... He's that 70s guy, and he's driving, a brown, dri driving around the Partridge family bus, and he had a lava lamp for promo segments. So cool. Such a great idea. And at this, is, at this point, he started a feud with the real career killer, Vampiro, and the ICP. Um, luckily, the only good thing that happened here was that he powerbombed one of the ICP members, Shaggy, on the roof, and he slid off and fell to the concrete. That is his greatest contribution to WCW. He almost saved us from ICP. So yeah, in I April, mean, that's uh, that's uh, music to my ears. <laughs> so in April of 2000, Mike Awesome is feuding with Hogan and Nash. September, he's on his third gimmick, and he's feuding with the Insane Clown Posse. Oh. Now, Mike Awesome was asked once in a shoot interview why everything went so sideways so quickly, and he posited that since his actual real-life cousin is Horace Hogan, the nephew of Hollywood Hulk Hogan, that Vince Russo, uh, once he'd cut that stupid promo on Hogan and shit all over him and basically kicked him out of WCW, he decided that he was going to bury anybody who was remotely related to Hogan or close to Hogan. And therefore, he took this ready-made guy who was a world champion as he came into the company and buried Mike Awesome with that 70s gimmick. So that's pretty much it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, very shortly after WCW went out of business, it's not hard to see why with such brilliant storytelling and creativity like this. But uh, Mike Awesome just basically uh, got through it and lived out his days there and then ended up in the WWF. But uh, we don't care about WWF yet. Uh, right now, we're going to try to come up with a storyline that may help uh, save the company for a little while, at least. And this won't take that much effort either. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is one of those times where it's uh, not really going to be hard to do something better than what they did because they basically... Started him off great and then just put him down in the low card. Like, we'll just put him in the second match with ICP. Yeah. Because awesome. This <laughs> week, Mike Awesome comes out and fucks a dog live on TV. And he's already over. 
Oh. Over like Rover, which is the name of the dog he's fucking. Nice. There you go. You're so proud of yourself right now. Yeah. I just see the look on your, your you know, you got that, that dad pride on your face right now. I do. I do. <laughs> uh, enough about boning animals. So, as a reminder, uh, the roster of WCW in the year 2000 featured Terry Funk, Rick Flair, Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, the Steiner Brothers, the Macho Man Randy Savage, DDP, Sting, Sid, whatever his last name was at the time, Lex Luger, Jim Duggan, Jeff Jarrett, Canyon, Bam Bam Bigelow, Brian Knobs, Buff Baglow, Chris Candido, Ernest the Cat Miller, Fit Finley, Disco Inferno, and uh, the new blood at this moment was comprised of Booker T, Shane Douglas, Billy Kidman, Juventud Guerrera, Goldberg, Rey Mysterio, and Conan. The Millionaires Club, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, DDP, Sting, Sid, Kurt Henning, Lex Luger, Randy Savage, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So, if you've got these two factions, I, I don't I don't think it's really that hard to start if you're going to bring Mike Awesome in as a new blood guy. Like, how did they shit this bed so hard? <laughs> Very easily, uh, it looks like from what I from what you've told me and what we've seen. But yeah, how do you debut a guy and put and have him rub shoulders with the Millionaires Club? No, the New Blood against the Millionaires Club. You know, all the ingredients are there, and then just nothing. How do you transition from that to the fat chick thriller, and then eventually that '70s guy? You talk about just. 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. Like what the fuck? Like, and you, and you got a guy that looks like somebody that you would create in a wrestling game. Like the guy, the guy has all the tools. You put all of his, even attrib- the mullet. Yes. Even yeah. with the mullet, <laughs> you put the attributes all the way up. You make a guy big as shit. And then he has all the freaking cruiserweight moves for some reason. It, this guy was a real <laughs> thing. He, he, this guy actually exists. And then you give him that. So for me, I'm just going to jump in because my shit wouldn't take long at all to get him over. And you're right. You touched on it. His weakness, promos. You know, his 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 intensity didn't his intensity in his voice didn't match what he can produce in the ring. That's why in ECW, he had a perfect manager in Judge Jeff Jones. And I would have brought that guy right along with him to WCW and I would have done this thing. I wouldn't put him in a faction because I think factions is already you are telling the audience that you're equal to other people. And that dude is not equal to other people, and that's how I would present him, as this this monster, dominant figure. And if you want to do something ton-in-cheek, which is at that time during the Attitude Era, that's what they were trying to do. So I would have Judge Jones just interrupt segments or matches and have Mike Awesome come out, and they would just have impromptu wrestlers court. Like he would come out with his gavel and a podium, and then Mike Awesome would just come out as he was uh, kind of sentencing whomever for whatever reason, you know, example, you can ha- you, you, the first thing they do is just beat the shit out of Vince Russo for quote-unquote ruining the wrestling business and just have him destroy Vince Russo. And then Bischoff can just actually take over instead of that tag team fucking thing that they were doing when they did the relaunch and the redo where they took all the belts off everyone. I think you bring in Mike Awesome, just had this 
have this like one man shield type of thing where like he's beating the fuck out of people for wrestling justice and you know it starts with Vince Russo it can trickle to freaking you know Hulk Hogan uh, Terry Funk for just not hanging it up you can just have him beat the shit out of people for all these random reasons and have Judge Jones just cut these you know reality based promos and just having and just having him use Mike Awesome as this bailiff slash exterminator to the point where you know who's going to be the babyface to stop this guy, and you know maybe the first guy that you have a matchup with could be Diamond Dallas Page or a Lex Luger or a Sting, and then just have Mike Awesome win in decisive fashion. And you have him solidified as this dominant heel that can go with the top guys and just keep that going. I think the wrestler's court interruption segments would be as equal and like, holy shit, what are we about to see? Kind of like when you would hit the Shields music years later. It doesn't matter who's in the ring. You know they're going to get their ass whipped by those three guys. And I think Mike Awesome's appearance and his skill set warrants believability in the fact that whoever's in the ring that one guy is going to fuck you up and i think that alone would completely overshadow any possible idea of making him that 70s guy or the fat chick thriller i would make him the fat chick killer you know jeff Jarrett was going and hitting old ladies with the guitars i think i could see him big booting a couple fat girls that would get some extra heat <laughs> no i wouldn't do that though but the the wrestler's court uh, segment was something that I kind of came up with. It's something that's tongue in cheek with backstage politics, and you got a guy with a judge and a big ass hybrid wrestler that can go with anybody uh, that would just be dominant and just be on top as a dominant heel. And I think that is the place to be for Mike Awesome. What say you? Um, I I definitely like the wrestler's court idea. I think that's something that uh, we can incorporate. Um, down the line um, but uh, I, I do like the idea of the factions I think this was something that had a lot of legs to it um, and they just like they just completely blew it off and like I don't know what Vince Russo was thinking is really what it comes down to Vince Russo <laughs> wanted to get rid of all these fucking old guys that had gravitas that had you know followings for 20 years that had like these guys that were just massively over that, like, that and i get it it was probably frustrating dealing with the politics at the time which is was probably the the thing that put vince russo uh you know because in wwf they could do whatever they wanted and guys were going to basically fall in line but uh once you go over to wcw where guys have creative control in their contract and you know guys are were the booker or this or that it becomes a little bit of a, uh, you know, like just hitting your head against a wall. And so I can understand where that would be frustrating. But we're going to just pretend that everyone wants to, you know, make money and uh, do what's right. So for the purposes of our storytelling today, everyone's going to cooperate. <laughs> and I think realistically where WCW completely failed in their entire run on top was that they never made new stars like except for Goldberg. I mean, Goldberg was the exception to the rule. 
they made Goldberg. And Goldberg got over to the point where even Hogan was like, yes, I want to put this guy over on national television. That's fine. But uh, I think, I really feel like Mike Awesome is one of those guys. I don't think he would have been as big a star as Goldberg, for sure. But he could have been that next level guy like a Jeff Jarrett, who was just below being a tippy top guy. And I don't think it would have been hard to get there at all when you look at the Millionaire's Club roster. I mean, just like the first, I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, you could debut Mike Awesome in a lot of ways, which is cool. You could bring him in as kind of a heel character and let him, he could do something where he's the cruiserweight killer or he's like, because like, he could have had awesome matches with guys like Billy Kidman or uh, Jamie Noble, I think was around at the time. This is when they had the, uh, whatever that group was called with, uh, you know, the guys in mass that, that <laughs> with Jimmy, Jimmy Yang and, and uh, uh, Jamie Noble and whoever the third guy was in that group. That's fantastic. I can't even think of his name, but I mean, this was also a time when they were signing guys like Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles where, you know, ju- they just got there right as the company went out of business. So there were a lot of options because Mike awesome could wrestle spike Dudley and steal the show. So, like, you, you could have done a lot of things, but I, I just, I feel like if you're, if you have to capitalize on the ECW thing, you've got great options like Bam Bam Bigelow and Chris Candido and Shane Douglas there. So, there's a lot of things you could have done, but I, what I would have started with is this new blood Millionaires Club thing, because I really feel like this storyline could have taken over the wrestling business and reinvigorated WCW especially if you bring in an, a, a killer like Mike Awesome and start him with a Kurt Henning. Like, you, the first thing you could do is you have him come in, debut, kill a couple of underneath guys, and then the first feud you set up, oh, okay, here's Kurt Henning. And then, after, I mean, you've got Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You've got DDP. Like, you've got these guys who are, like, the second-tier guys in this Millionaire's Club. And then, like... Who doesn't want to see Mike Awesome versus Sid? Like, Jesus Christ, that shit just books itself. Like, it's great that he came in and attacked Kevin Nash, but I wouldn't have started with that. I would have had him come in, and the first feud I would have set up was Kurt Henning because you're going to get good matches out of that. Like, you know, at this point, Henning's kind of on on his last legs. He's on the way out, so you're not going to hurt him um, losing to Mike Awesome. So, um yeah, I start with Henning, and then I have him just destroy Duggan in short order because uh, that's not going to be a great match because, you know, Hacksaw's Hacksaw. Uh, it'll be fun. It'll be get over. Um, it'll sell tickets, but that only needs to be about a four-minute match. But uh, at some point, um, I would be building to that Sid and Mike Awesome match because, like, th- this is where you establish that, okay, one, he's a good worker. Two, he can dominate a guy like Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now, the the feud with Sid, now we establish that he can hang with the big boys, too, uh, because he's definitely going over on Sid with uh, it's the Battle of the Powerbombs. Fucking awesome. I don't think he's doing a top rope powerbomb to Sid, but, you know, the powerbomb in the middle of the ring will work just fine. You've got Lex Luger that you can feed to this guy. So after his first four matches against the Millionaire's Club, this is probably over a two- or three-month period, Now we've got something going on. We've got this hot guy that's just rolling through the Millionaire's Club. All these guys who have been top guys for the last decade or more. And then we can get to Kevin Nash. And then 
we can get to Ric Flair. And then we've got Mike Awesome ready-made to take on Hulk Hogan six months into this. And whether or not he beats Hogan is immaterial. Um, but at this point, we've built him up to that, to where he's a, a top contender. He's a, a legitimate threat to the title. And we can go with your with your style. Once we get to this point where he's dominant, I say we could put him over on Hogan, put the belts on Mike Awesome, and then we can bring in his manager. He can have problems with the new blood, and then he can roll through the new blood too because how exciting, like, to me, Mike Awesome versus Booker T sounds fucking amazing. I don't know about you, but <laughs> that sounds fantastic. But, like, oh, I, I just I don't understand how they shit this bed so bad. Like, I feel like if we bring him in, we have him kind of roll through the Millionaire's Club. We make him a big star. Then we roll in out with the manager. Then we get into your 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 idea where he wants to start punishing people. It would be fucking fantastic. Now we have a top guy, and uh, he's dominant. He can do everything we've established that he, he can go with anybody. It's fantastic. And his stock is built so that way when shit does go under, he can go to WWE or F, whatever at the time, as a maid solidified talent you know can you imagine if he was still with us and you know i still i think he'd still be going oh yeah yeah he he would still be wrestling i know his uh i mean unfortunately i think his money troubles and and all that is kind of part of all what led to what happened unfortunately in his you know untimely death but um yeah man i i just this is one of those guys where it just like i i don't know anyone that was like oh mike awesome was the shit like, no. do you know anybody that thinks my awesome sucks? I, I have no idea. <laughs> I love the guy. He checked all the boxes, and yeah, I, I, you could you could have had it if Goldberg never lost his streak. He would be a guy that you can make uh, by ending it. Oh, for sure. I mean, anybody like anybody could have been made by finally beating Goldberg. But I mean, they chose to go with made men to end the thing and roll with. Kevin Nash and a bunch of just stupid horse shit made men and a fucked finish. Yeah, exactly. And, and then they never really paid off the heat and Goldberg never got his, his win back. So like, I I just, WCW is such a clusterfuck from like the middle of nine end of, uh, well, middle of 98, really from like 98 on, it was just, it's a whirlwind of just the worst booking you've ever seen in your entire freaking life. And I just, it's like one of the biggest missed opportunities in the history of the business. Like they had Vince McMahon on the ropes and then they, they let politicking and bullshit just get in the way of completely burying them and giving them the death, you know, that last death nail. Like I, I get that Austin, there's nothing they could do to stop Austin. Um, and we can all thank Bret Hart for saving the WWF. I don't, I don't you know. Everyone will, everyone will shit all over that idea, but like it's factual. Go back and watch the tape. Like, <laughs> yes, there, there's def, there's definitely something to that. Uh, Bret Hart's fingerprints are on everything uh, as far as getting the Attitude Era going. Uh, but let's do a little recap because this is good because I feel like the last two take it ups we've had, you know, we've had pretty solidified storylines on one side of the spectrum as far as you and I go. But this one, I feel like we can combine the two. So I do yes. like your I do like your idea of bringing him in. He's he's the big guy in the faction for the new blood, 
and then he ends up being the focal point as far as going against the Millionaires Club, and then eventually he kind of goes against the New Blood because he's obviously the more dominant of the four, and then once we solidify him as him mowing through all the competition and being on top, that's when Judge Jeff Jones steps in, and then we start to have the wrestler's court segments where he is bringing justice to all the wrongdoings of the business, and his bailiff just happens to be the heavyweight champion of the world in the company. So not only is there weight to what he's saying, he's got the next in line as far as dominance in the company as his enforcer. So it's like... Yeah, plus I I think this is a good point where if we really want to do an ECW tie-in, well, now that we have Mike Awesome established as a as a top guy, as a dominant force, this is when he could call in reinforcements and he could like unite with a guy like Bam Bam Bigelow or Shane Douglas or Chris Chris Candido that are all there, and we can elevate them too. So they're not just. I mean, basically, they signed up every ECW talent they could and made them all like hardcore title random mid-card bullshit fodder like they just like they were allergic to making a new star like they just couldn't move on from hogan or hall and nash and then all of a sudden like vince russo just like cut every fucking buddy like savage is gone everyone's just gone all of a sudden and, and i mean it's the same thing that happened to wwf in 1993 where the whole roster just fucking left or retired, or, you know, jumped to WCW, and they're left all of a sudden with, like, Bret Hart is the champion, this guy who, you know, he had a great Intercontinental title run, he was a great tag team wrestler, but he never had, like, that main event push to where he, he, he you know, he never won a Royal Rumble, he, he didn't have big matches building up to winning the title, he just won the title, and then we still had The Undertaker, who was just an attraction at that time in 93, and, the, and, you know, and Shawn Michaels was just on the way up. Like, he just threw Marty Jannetty through the freaking glass plate window. And so, like, they, they went from a company that was just littered with stars, just, like, chock full of stars, to having no stars overnight. And, like, just they had to build guys out of nowhere. And that's kind of what d- happened in WCW in the year 2000. Like, they went from having a company full of stars. They had this full millionaires club. And Vince Russo got his vagina hurt. And just fucking stopped using everybody. And now all of a sudden you're left with like Billy Kidman as a top guy. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, so I think <laughs> I so I think from there, you know, we can have that wrestler's court and you know, and Mike Awesome is the champion. And you know, I would go one step further and saying that, hey, you know, in wrestler's court, obviously I'm the champion. And I would go as far as him chucking that belt and him having the ECW title around his waist. And he would kind of go forward as the WCW heavyweight champion, but he's using the ECW belt as the billboard for his heavyweight championship status. And, you know, you can you can ride that wave because, you know, we're about to close WCW's doors. We're not, we're not necessarily saying that this Take It Up Creative for Mike Awesome is saving WCW. No. We're just trying to save Mike Awesome, and yeah. when the doors close, the 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 table is set for the invasion because now, because as you as you know, as we've seen in the invasion angle, we brought we brought ECW into the mix later on 
when WCW's doors closed and, you know, we did that whole angle, uh, well, why don't we just mix ECW, WCW right off the bat before the doors close so that way the table is set when the when that invasion angle starts. Now you got Mike Awesome leading the charge for the ECW brand and WCW is set in stone already when the invasion angle starts. So now you have a reason why those two teams are together is because Mike Awesome is, is the reason why there was an uprising in the ECW side of things in WCW. And the the thing that's crazy now that you mention it is just like WCW went out of business just from like two years of just awful, awful, awful booking. And then the first thing that happens after WCW goes out of business is they 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 buy the company, they bring over all their wrestlers, and then WWE just starts awful, awful booking, and they they pull the rug out from under storylines, and then they just shit the bed for like a six month period and like realistically like the year 2000 and 2001 kind of was the thing that really started killing the wrestling business like because we went from all these great storylines we had the nwo storyline which is just masterfully done was incredible so like for all the shit that wcw did after that like that storyline was what saved the wrestling business in in the 90s and then we had the vince mcmahon happy accident we had, you know, the, the, the Stone Cold Steve Austin became just the biggest baby face we had seen since Hulkamania. And just like I, everything from like 96 through 98 was so magical and well done and just captivating. And then like from 98 through 2002, it just like took a left turn and just everything got out of control. Because realistically, when it comes down to it, they hot shotted everything from 96 to 98. So then when 99 rolls around, like there's nothing left to do because you just did everything for a stupid ratings war. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things that right now we're watching current wrestling maybe kind of, uh, happening again. Everyone, you know, the, both the companies are going crazy. They're already looking at doing Biggie versus fucking um, Roman Reigns. And Biggie just won the title. But like Daniel Bryan debuted, or sorry, Bryan Danielson debuted at AEW two weeks ago. And he's already going to wrestle freaking Kenny Omega. So like, I don't know, man. Like, th- this is, we're stuck in this vicious cycle since 1998 of, or, you know, oh, oh, man. I miss 1993 wrestling so much. <laughs> Most people will say it's the worst area in WWF history, but I feel like the new generation was the best storytelling and in-ring product that WWF ever did. I mean, the angle with Owen Hart, the stuff with Jerry Lawler and Bret Hart, even like the Jeff Jarrett stuff with Razor Ramon, Sean and Razor, like all those storylines, uh, the boyhood dream comes like to me, that was as, as good a storytelling as I, as, have happened since 1985 and it was because they didn't have big stars and they really had to rely on stories to sell tickets. Yep. Yep. That is what they had to rely on. I was just about to say that, that, you know, you would have to build long build, uh, matches because they're just, you know, you couldn't have them wrestle every week. Whereas today the, the talent pool is so vast that you have the wiggle room to give those high quality matches, you know, 
on national television. You know, I kind of harken back to the whole where we had Saturday night's main event. You know, they would give big matchups on free TV, but the ratings were so stout. So that's why, you know, I think, you know, it's kind of a callback. AEW is doing a, you know, four hours of television and they're all stacked cards. And, you know, and they're doing the whole four four pay-per-views a year instead of 12. So they rely... Yeah, so this is basically their free pay-per-view that they do every every couple of months as well. So, so like, they do, they do, you know, the four or five big pay-per-views and then they're going to have these TV pay-per-views you know so so basically there's like eight ish big events for aew for the year so it, it is interesting i mean i just wish we had more than two weeks of build-up for it <laughs> it's yeah. all, all i'm trying to say <laughs> absolutely yeah and you know and that just speaks to our audience the audience is fickle and they don't have the attention span like we did when we were kids you know we had no choice you know we had television and that was it now we stream everything and everything is so quick and, you know, we can lose an audience on a dime just because they can't wait for the magic to unfold. And <laughs> the magic that was unfolded in front of us for Mike Awesome was not an awesome one. It was not an awesome magic trick that we liked seeing. We didn't like seeing the hybrid wrestler of hybrid wrestler go to please fat chicks and go back to the 70s. It just didn't make sense. So I think what we've done today is corrected the wrongs that were brought to Mike Awesome. What we've come up with today was vastly better than whatever was come <laughs> up with for the gentleman. And I'm glad that we righted the wrongs and we brought to justice, shout out to Jeff Jones, and we hammered the gavel that is the piss poor creative that was Mike Awesome in WCW. And I hope that what we come up with today Gives Mike Awesome a brighter tomorrow. Are you trying to take over my job of just filibustering for five minutes before the end of the show? <laughs> I mean, not really, because I'm doing it better. <laughs> oh, harsh. My back hasn't gone out from carrying this show yet. <laughs> no, it's funny. Yeah, so the, yeah, this week we went with kind of your your passion project on uh, Take It Up. Um, the next take it up with creative is going to be my kind of passion project. Uh, and this one was the, probably the most upsetting research I have done so far. Um, Cause our next take it up with creative is going to feature one of my favorite five wrestlers to watch of all time. And that is too cold Scorpio. Um, talk about hybrid wrestler because too cold was all, every bit a heavyweight, 230 something pound guy. And he did all of the high flying. I mean, he was really the innovator of the 450 splash for me. You know, in America, he was one of the first, it was the first time I ever saw it. And uh, still to this day, it is my favorite professional wrestling move in the world. I think a 450 splash is just poetry in motion, one of the most perfect just moves that exist. And when Too Cold hit it, it was so smooth and so perfect every time. He never kind of landed on his knees and or or landed you know, really high on his chest and over-rotated every time it looked like he landed in that just perfect Superfly Jimmy Snooka splash position. And uh, I love Too Cold. It was one of the reasons I watched every Saturday morning WCW when I was nine years old. And I cannot wait to talk about that. And I can gush like you did about Mike Awesome this week, sir. 
Yes, the subject of too cold is too hot to handle today, so we're going to shove that for next week. On the creative team. Oh, uh, yes. See, you're stealing my thing now. So, you know, it's nice. <laughs> I'm excited. I know you're excited. Cole, take us home. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here with us this week. We love you, and good night. Mwah! Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Creative Team Pod or just the Creative Team on Facebook. Follow Cole Dawson on Twitter and Instagram at Cole2130 and follow yours truly on Instagram or Twitter at Ron for Your Life. Number four, we'll see you next week on another episode of The Creative Team.